0: Welcome to Unbooking the Territory as we continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Bruce Pritchard's lowest rated episode.
1: May I proudly present my personal, close, good friend, Brother Love! You're obnoxious, you steamroller people! you push people around and you push your agenda and your ideas whether it's in the locker room or the boardroom and if this man can help me i know he can help every one of you out there i've known you for 30 years and it's always been the same thing you're arrogant and you have overstepped your bounds and people are getting sick and fed up with you just like usual We gave you an inch, you took a mile, now I'm giving you a foot out the door, you're fired! So how are you this week, Dan? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Your boys had the vaccine, so I'm feeling invincible. And uh, I'm really bloody excited, because I'm going to jump the gun here. You, you get to do the intro every week, I'm going to jump the gun. We've got our our podcast overlord, our <laughs> boss, James from that 90s wrestling podcast on, well, the shoe's on the other foot now, motherfucker, how are you doing?
2: Thank you very much. I would say, Majesty Overlord Nami's apprentice. <laughs> well, we're the ones. We're the,
1: one, we're the ones. We're the ones scrubbing the floors after you're
2: done. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's a great for having me. When you said you were starting this podcast, I was so excited. So, uh, looking forward to coming on. And yeah, it's nice to uh, be a guest as well. So, really looking forward to uh, doing this. And um, yeah, two episodes from like one of my favorite eras, Really. So, uh, looking forward to it. Brilliant, you probably remember more about it than I do. <laughs> oh, this is oh. fantastic because uh, we've
0: got one person who's lost his notes and one person who's lost all sense of direction uh, due to drink, so it's going to go very well.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, do you know I've lost my notes? He's
0: talking <laughs> <me>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Speaking of beer, Rob, what are you drinking?
0: Oh, you're skipping the format around here, aren't you? Dan? Am I? Yeah, well, but we'll, we'll we'll jump into that section now. Okay, I am on a Lakeland Brew House Turbine um, Caramel Porter. It's five point one percent, and I've given it a four out of five on Untapped.
1: Very fancy. Sounds like something I'd very much enjoy. I'm gonna have to get me gob on one of them. Are you were uh, you drinking out, James?
2: No, I've actually just got a uh, glass of water. I'm going pretty bored
1: tonight. Oh, uh, that's that. That's that weird. That's that weird liquid that doesn't have any hops or barley or yeast in it, in it.
2: Yeah, that clear one. <laughs> but it's not vodka. Remember. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it'd be great if it was vodka. It's weird. I've just been shopping as well, so I actually forgot to go in and get myself a drink. So I'm disappointed in myself. So hopefully for next time, I'll drink something really strong just to make up for it. A bit of absinthe or something.
1: <laughs> well, see, I just assumed there was another like wing to the Wrestle Shed that had just like a still in it or something or a, a little micro brew.
2: Oh, I've cleaned out. Today. I've actually got some room to move today, so it's all great. Normally, I'm all squeezed into one corner, but I've actually got a bit of a room now, so I'm loving it. You might see me moonwalking down the shed in a minute.
1: <laughs> in that case, we need to release the video of this. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, fair well, 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 just,
1: well, yeah. we'll just, Well, we can wrap up the uh, the beer talk pretty quickly on the in this bit, because I'm just on uh, a nice bog-standard asahi. An old favourite, bit of Japanese lager, crisp, refreshing, and for nostalgia reasons, I think I give it a five on Untapped. I forgot to check. Say is one of my fives, I know, I know it's like a mass-produced
0: beer, but I do love a Um See, we're, we're
1: not beer snobs all the time.
0: The last time I had a it was actually in uh, Sunbridge Wells in Bradford, which in the 1960s had been a nightclub that Big Daddy owned. Oh, well.
1: I've yeah. actually been in Sunbridge Wells, I ended up drinking in there with a load of Rise wrestlers before a show once. It's really cool. I think I think they'd use it as like an air raid shelter
0: in the Second World War and stuff because it's kind of under one of the streets, isn't it? It's like this labyrinth thing with several levels and stuff. It's really cool. An underground um,
1: bar in Bradford—it's it, not as grotty as you'd think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the best the best place in
0: Bradford is underground. That's uh... anyway. I've already
1: derailed the I've already derailed the
0: format. So anyway, so we'll just get to know a, a bit more about James. So. One of the things we've found is that on a lot of podcasts, people are asking the same sort of questions, you know, when did you start watching wrestling, that kind of thing. So, so we've decided to go at this com- from a completely different angle, and we've given you five categories that we'd like you to rate and give points in terms of um, your most important. You've thrown your notes away, so this is going to be interesting. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the categories were storyline, yep. in-ring, so yep. that's the technical and the selling, promos, Presentation, which includes like production, commentary, vignettes, that sort of thing, and fan response, which is like either your reaction or the response of the crowd. Which do you think is the most important? Storyline.
2: Uh, storyline? Yeah, but, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, storyline. I mean, I, I suppose you line up with the character as well. Like, you know, I could, for example, if I went across YouTube and I saw a match between two people. And they could have the greatest match ever, right? Five star, six star, whatever star. And if there's no storyline into it, then I'm not going to care about it. But if I watch the Rock v Hulk Hogan WrestleMania eight, was it WrestleMania eighteen? It was. It's, it's not the greatest match in the world. That's be honest. It's Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, he's past his best, and we even went during his best. <laughs> he wasn't the greatest wrestler, he's. but he's against <laughs> the Rock. What the? F- and I mean, this will probably time with the fans, but the storyline going into it, and uh, it's one of the greatest matches of all time, in my opinion. So, uh, storyline is the most important, easily.
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's what I went with as well. Yeah, it's,
0: it's what I went with. Uh, and just for context, we're going to create little radars like they have in FIFA and overlap them with what each of us, which each of us think, and we'll get those up on the socials. Um, oh, cool. So, which would you go for your next most important? Yeah, so it was storylines, in-ring, and what else? Uh, there was in-ring, promos, presentation, and fan response.
2: Promos, second. Similar to what I said, like, obviously, when we've done my stuff and that, like the 90s, it's all about the promos, isn't it? <laughs> so Ultimate Warrior, like I said, in-ring, terrible. But when he's been putting the right stories in these promos, you couldn't help but cheer for the guy, so promos is second for me. Third, I would... S- I would probably say... Um, fan response. Fed. Because if the fans is loving it, and like I mentioned earlier with the Rock and Hogan, if the fans is right behind the match, you can't help but be drawn into this match. And if the fans are shitting on the match, you kind of lean towards it. It's like, I suppose it's like peer pressure. But yeah, like the fans is just important. And I mean, it's been highlighted so much like this past year. Because... Yeah, it's been different for WWE because they've been able to do their own stuff. But at the same time, like, say McIntyre journeys run. Now, I've been a fan of McIntyre journey's run. How do we know? And I'm hoping, that if fans was there, they were cheering on him at the same time. But we don't know if that during this whole time the fans might have been shitting on them. for example. I like to think that wasn't happening. So it's hard to know who's actually, who's generally getting over in WWE at the minute because you don't know. All what you see is people online and, you know, they change their mind every 2 seconds <laughs> so <laughs> like the fans importance is as it's been it, it's actually been highlighted a lot more this past year when there's been no fans so
1: yeah, that, that kind of exposed that's a different way to to what I thought about it because i considered the fan responses to me as long as i'm enjoying it i don't care what it how it comes across on tv yeah which has kind of tied in a couple of times into episodes we've recorded, where it, it's the format. they had was they were taping four epi- uh, four episodes of Raw a Night. It was a long slog for the fans. So a couple of episodes, we've sat there, we've watched main events, and they've been decent. But yeah. the the main event, the actual match in, in isolation has deserved so much more than it got from the fans. But the fans were just fucked.
2: Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember when we'd done our first episode, Rob Rumble ninety, and what was um, we said if we if we could give an MVP too, it was to the fans because the fans was like so hot that night and it was like they cheered for everything I think <laughs> I forgot we made a joke who they actually cheered for, it was like even he got cheered for <laughs> I forgot who it was but uh, yeah and um, I suppose fourth on me pick uh, would be in ring, my favourite wrestlers, Brit, uh, everyone knows that, Dan knows that especially and uh, I love um, a good match as much as anyone so um, that's that and uh, yeah I suppose the last one would be presentation I still like it to look good but I suppose hasn't really bothered me as much because, like I've mentioned, I've been watching some ECW 95 and like their production values was <laughs> dog shit, but they're still putting on really good shows. So, yeah, presentation its nice to have it, but I wouldn't put it above any of the other four I've just mentioned. No, fair
1: enough, that's interesting. It's um, Your order there, it does kind of give a bit of credence to what me and Rob have talked about in the past of one of the least important parts of the wrestling is the wrestling.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, top one we've had so far was dan gave it the third most important i, I put it last and you put it uh, next to last yeah so for a wrestling podcast this is going really well <laughs> did i change mine on the fly then because that's different to what i've got written down i wrote it down at the time i don't know you gave you gave it three points
1: i, I did i uh, yeah i changed mine on the fly and then forgot to change my notes like a dickhead <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm organized i never said i was professional Excellent. So the next section of the show,
0: the listeners can sit back and be the virtual Carmella or maybe by the time this goes out, Sasha Banks. And um, we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a beer that you should drink while you're watching the show. So have you got a recommendation, Dan?
1: Yeah, I'm going to recommend a beer that pretty much encapsulates what this show's like. And I'm going to recommend a Sam Sam Smith Pure Brewed Lager because it starts out bang average, but by the end of it, you're blown away. And that's pretty much what pure brew does to you. Start out all right, one or two of them, you're on your ass.
0: <laughs> Trouble is, though, in, in the Sam Smith's pubs, you're not allowed your mobile phones, and you're not allowed to swear, and you just got to sit there and drink cheap beer. That's the, that's the rule.
1: You know, pubs aren't open, so you just buy the bottles in from somewhere like, somewhere like our good friend's Trembling Madness, who, yes, I'm still angling after that sponsorship.
0: <laughs> it, it doesn't work if you just advertise them without them paying. That's the problem.
1: Ah, it's fine. I'll, I'll talk to Rob. It is a uh, different Rob. <laughs> next time he delivers a crate for me. Superb. I've gone with a ghost rat
0: from Huddersfield's Rat Brewery, although they've actually been bought out by Osset now or so taken over the world. I gave it 2.75 out of five on taps. It's a 4.2% IPA, and it's a limited edition Halloween beer, so I thought that fitted very well for this Halloween-themed episode of Monday Night Raw. Oh, yeah. God, yeah.
1: The Halloween-y <laughs> thing, <mate. laughs> I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you got a recommendation that people should drink while they're watching the show
2: james yeah to be honest with you lads i'm not a big beer drinker anymore i'm a big fan of amaretto and coke or Disaronno and coke you could say As getting older i've started drinking more liqueurs and Disaronno and coke is uh, my go-to it's uh, a little bit expensive getting a bottle of it but uh, it's worth it
1: <laughs> rob rob um we're gonna to need to start vetting guests because I'll I'll not have anybody else on who likes anything that tastes like almonds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, Dan, you normally ask me what I drank while I watched the show, and it was Benny and Hart. So that that's kind of in the luckier category. You,
1: you know, Benny and Hart can get fucked and all. Better <laughs> meddles drink them before the bloody True Grit show. Oh dear me, does nobody enjoy a nice single malt anymore? <laughs> wow. Christ, I'm old. I'm the old man of the. I'm the old man of the three of us, and I'm the youngest fucker
2: here. I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest. I'm thirty-one. Thirty-one. My birthday's
1: in three weeks. My birthday's in May.
2: Bastard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, now we've got that out of the way. Yeah,
0: playing top Trumps over your age. Ah, I wasn't getting anywhere near that. Uh, that debate.
1: So it's only a
0: standard chance of anyone being older than me. And I, I think I'm still even older than him. <laughs> oh well, never mind Never mind And now it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week
1: And Beth's Beer of the Week is Sweet Spot by Brass Castle Brewing That was quite a tongue twister
0: And Beth's Beer of the Week was Brass Castle's Sweet Spot Which is a 5.5% mild This one she gave 5 to 1 on untapped uh, You gave 3.25 to on untapped Which was on the same day um, yeah, I have, yeah, I haven't rated it I think you sent us these, Dan because we drunk them on the same day, and it was during the lockdown, so it sounds like I think we were actually watching uh, one of the AWA pay per views when we were drinking. Oh, it. Christ, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I tapped sixteen drinks on that day, so I think I might have uh, stopped on tapping at some point. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Should stress that you and you and Beth do treat drinking beer more like tapas. You'll uh, you'll share a can and check it check each one in, so you get through a fair bit that way. Yeah, no, Brass Castle, love Brass Castle. Actually work with the uh, the head brewers girlfriend. So again, Brass Castle, sponsorship, please. Yes. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna ask, uh, I'm gonna ask you to ask Sam. <laughs>
0: you actually said in the um, this Tuesday in Texas review we did for that nineties wrestling podcast, you were controlled by Brass. So Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just forgot to add Castle on the end. Fantastic. That was a very, that was a very like World of Sport wrestling commentator fantastic then, Rob. So <laughs> let's just move this along. <laughs>
0: there was a bit in one of these shows, actually, um, where they're just making up names for moves, or just calling the wrong move. And it did remind me of Kent Walton. I remember there's like a World of Sport DVD or whatever, and there's someone in a headlock, and uh, Kent Walton goes, he's in the gimbal. It's like, has anyone heard of a gimbal in wrestling?
1: I thought, that was exactly. like a li- I thought that was like a little snicket that you walk down to get
0: somewhere. Exactly, he's just made it up. Just making it up on the spot. <laughs> so that's World
2: of Sport commentary. When I chatted to uh, Joe Andrew, he actually mentioned he's run during World of Sport and the reboot, and he mentioned like how much he actually loved being part of that show. So uh, it's great to know, because obviously, I missed World of Sport the first time round, so I caught the reboot, and obviously I watched the old shows like when you can find them on YouTube and that. So uh, it's great to know that some of the lads who was on the reboot enjoyed it as much as we did watching it. Yeah, I really I enjoyed know. World
1: of Sport. the The camera work uh, at times left a lot to be desired. It was a it was a it was very Kevin Dunn style. Yeah, of, uh, of chopping and changing. I think I got motion sick in one uh, in one match just from that. But yeah, I'm sad it only lasted one series. Yeah, I really, I I really well.
0: enjoyed it, and it, it was just a shame how much the IWC shit on it, because ordinary people seem to really like it. We went to one of the house shows at Blackpool Tower Ballroom, and the stewards were saying that uh, they had more people in for that event than they get for the Strictly final, which just goes to show how popular it was.
2: Wow. What sort of ratings was it doing, no I don't know if you
0: know. really well. I think the first episode was like 1.6 million. And then it, it did go off a bit of a cliff. It always spiked when Osprey was on the show, so there was clearly you know, some, some kind of marked crowd. The, the problem was, though, it was a really ITV format, so it was next to Ninja Warrior, and it looked exactly the same as Ninja Warrior. Yeah, that's right, and yeah. A lot, a, lot, a lot of wrestling fans were like, oh, we don't like the format, but that's what ITV do. Yeah. And AEW have said when they come over, they're going to use ITV to, to do the shows. So you're going to end up <laughs>
1: <laughs> a a world of sport, yeah, A W O S.
0: Yeah, we'll see what the internet thinks of that. I'm sure so, there will be. I'm sure it'll
1: all be all be conclusive, and there'll be no divisiveness whatsoever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Harmony as ever in their internet wrestling community. Yeah. So in the last show, we rounded off Bill Watt's time in charge of creative. So now Vince McMahon has to log back into LinkedIn and have a look and see if he can find someone else to be head of creative and look at the key skills that someone might bring to the role. So he's got Bruce Pritchard's LinkedIn. So I'm just going to go through a few things that you may have seen on his LinkedIn profile. And if the two of you want to comment and say if you think it's any good for the head of creative role. So the first thing he's got down there, he started working for Paul Bosch at the age of 10, selling posters and starting to ring announce at the age of 12. Well,
1: the, only, uh, the only thing I can say about Paul Bosch is we've watched me and Rob have actually watched one of his shows that's available on YouTube. If you search Paul Bosch NWA Houston something like that, we, we'd had a few beverages by the time we got to this show. But please, for the love of God, watch it. I can't remember if the wrestling's any good, but the the seventies ads are fucking incredible.
0: It was amazing. It was sponsored by
2: like a local carpet <laughs> shop or something, wasn't it? It was magnificent. I remember. Uh, Something to wrestle, like one of the early episodes, and uh, that was what Bruce Pritchard uh, mentioned, like Houston wrestling. And uh, like I've never watched it, but I enjoyed listening to his time during there. So um, it's something I would like to go out of my way and actually go and see. Actually, see if it was as good as what he says it is.
0: It's de- it's definitely worth checking out, even if it's just for the adverts. Yeah. <laughs> so the next thing he was trained by Tom Pritchard, which is probably unsur- unsurprising because that's his brother. Yep.
2: <laughs> uh, Tom's should... one of the best. No, car, sorry, carry on, James. I'm not sorry. Uh, yeah, Tom. Um, Love Tom. <laughs> we always have this debate on the underrated wrestlers. <laughs> he's underrated. I I enjoy him. And I'd like I said, I just mentioned him earlier, Joe Hendry. I've had uh, him and Joe Andrews actually got a podcast together at Wrestling University. And they talk about the inner workings of wrestling and like the do's and don'ts. And I've, been, I've only done a few episodes, but it's really enjoyable, to be honest. And the guy knows what he's talking about. So, um yeah, it's uh, the guy trained the rock. You know what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah it's So, uh, unfortunately, Bruce Pritchard didn't have them same skills.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. That that sounds. What was it called? University of Wrestling.
2: Uh, Wrestling University. Joe Hendry hosts it, and Tom Pritchard is like the expert. And they uh, they discuss like tag teams and like uh, one like that was a specific episode. And Another episode they done was like backstage heat and like things what happened and. It, I recommend it. I actually um, posted a link on my uh, Twitter page, I think it was like last week. And uh, like he mentioned it during our chat and I checked it out and subscribed to it. And uh, yeah, I, I recommend listening to it. And plus like, you can't go wrong with Joe Hendry. <laughs> True.
0: I listened to Joe Hendry's Pish Talk. Um... He does it with an amateur wrestler. So that, that's brilliant, although a lot of it's just Joe Henry doing impressions of Donald Trump and stuff. It's not really related to wrestling. It's, it's just his frustrations with uh, using his computer and uh, impressions he's doing and stuff. But, no, it's, it's a good listen. So the next thing that Bruce Pritchard's got, he was the ring announcer for Bill Watts' UWF.
1: Mm, another, potentially, uh, another potential nepotism tie.
0: It's funny, this. Bill Watts having all these um, future... Heads of creative under his wing. We spoke last uh, episode about uh, him bringing uh, Russo into the creative meetings, and uh, now he's got uh, um, Bruce Pritchard at this point under his wing. So Bruce Pritchard then goes on to be a color commentator for the WWF when they run Houston area shows. Yeah,
1: I'm not uh, seeing a lot so far that suggests he's going to be uh, going to be a great booker, but
0: no, not yet, not yet. But there's something that's coming. He worked as Brother Love in
2: WWF good character it <laughs> was a fun character <laughs> I, he, I do was, i do sorry carry on uh, he was entertaining like he segments with uh Batchaman and sherry i do give him that
1: i do like the fact as well that when i was having a quick look at bruce pritchard that he didn't know he was going to be in the uh the pink and red face paint the first time he went on tv it was done without his knowledge right i didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was on. It was on something to wrestle. I think one he did about five years ago. He said that he was sat, You know, he thought it was just general TV makeup because they were at a taping, and uh, they just sh- sh- shoved him out there. He had no idea he had this big red face. Watched it back and just, what the fuck is that?
2: I know we're going on a tangent. Did you ever hear about his uh, Undertaker story <laughs> when they're leaving the show? Nope. So it's when like Undertaker's just been brought in and obviously he started out as Undertaker's manager. And I think both of them was in still in full getup, face paint, suits, and everything. And because the Undertaker's a big guy, the guy's nearly like seven four. He had to sit with his seat like right back, and like his uh, back of his seat like bled back. And I think they got lost. And like Pritchard was driving, and they pulled up, and they was in like a really really rough neighborhood. And he pulled his window down, and he asked this guy, "Yeah, excuse me, you know where? Uh, how do we get onto the freeway or whatever they call it over there?" And the guy was come to him. Yeah, you come out this way, but it was like he's putting his uh hand down his trousers to get a gun or something. Yeah, you come over here. And then the Undertaker sat up. Well, the is still in full makeup with the eyeshadow and everything. And <laughs> like, so JJ went, Yeah, you go that way, you go that way. And he went back to the, he went back to his crew and he was like, That motherfucker's a dead guy and I said he's like, <he's>, shit <laughs> He tells it better than what I did, but it was a funny story. <laughs>
1: That's brilliant. I love that.
0: So, the next thing on Bill Pritchard's LinkedIn, he's sat in on the creative meeting. So, he's been sat at the back. Maybe being. Which, which, which Pritchard, Rob? Bill Pritchard? Bruce. Bruce Pritchard. Try again. <laughs> I keep thinking of Bill Watts. <laughs> I of Bill Watts obsessed. That damn cowboy. So, the next thing on Bruce Pritchard's LinkedIn, is sat in creative at the back. The, the,
2: the funny thing is, is, there is actually a Bill Pritchard's. He runs like, he's like one of the main guys at WrestleStone and I was on the uh, AEW uh, press call the other night and he actually got on. It was like Brill Pritchard from WrestleStone. <laughs> so there is actually a Brill Pritchard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's probably a family. So it, I, I didn't actually know he was sat in the, uh, uh, sat in the meetings at this point. I'll, I'll be honest, uh, Wikipedia didn't tell me that. And the final thing, he's got a big
0: idea, a brilliant idea that he thinks is the way forward for WWF's creative. He wants to bring in O.J. Simpson to work a programme with Roddy Piper. <coughs> in, just to put it in context, O.J. Simpson was acquitted on the 3rd of October, and these episodes are going to be filmed on the 23rd of October. So that's giving you some context into uh, how quick the turnaround was between Bruce Pritchard thinking that would be a good idea.
1: Oh, God, that motherfucker just learned the, the phrase, there's no such thing as bad publicity, didn't he?
2: Exactly. <laughs> I, I, wish, I, wish, I
1: wish everybody could see the look on James's face. <laughs> oh, mate, you look so uncomfortable.
2: I, I might be wrong, though. Didn't Russo want OJ to have a match against the guy, uh, like the lad who got murdered, like his father?
0: <clears throat> no, so, so what, what the story is, is apparently, uh, uh, and this is allegedly, that. Bruce had been pitching this idea to Vince McMahon um, in the back of Vince's limo with um, lots of cocaine involved. And then he comes tumbling into Vince Russo's office while he's working as the um, editor of the magazine and tells Vince Russo this big idea that he wants O.J. Simpson to fight Roddy Piper. And Vince Russo says to him sarcastically that the only way that you're going to get it across is if you book O.J. Simpson against the father of the deceased. Yeah. Bruce Pritchard, obviously in his state, doesn't think this is a joke and thinks it's a genius idea and runs off back to Dinsley's limo to try and up the stakes.
2: Oh. (laughs) I I do
1: apologise for that noise before that was me choking on my beer. (laughs) 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 Jesus Christ, I never knew that.
2: Right, because I've heard heard Pritchard try and lay the blame to Russo, like what everyone does. By the way, I sound like the biggest apologist for Prince Russo, but I'm just telling you what I've heard, like, Pritchard and the old dude, they tried to put all the shit like, oh yeah, it was Russo's idea, but yeah, it looks like he was just covering his own tracks.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, James, you're not the biggest apologist for Vince Russo. That, the, that's the guy that hosts the show. Well, <laughs>
0: to, to, to be absolutely fair, with this show, I did listen to a few Bruce Pritchard stories, which kind of collaborate the, Bruce, the Vince Russo story rather than. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the problem with Bruce is he likes a good story. And sometimes yeah. he can't quite remember how it went, so he tends to make stuff up. So you, you will often find him saying stuff that contradicts each other or, or whatever, yeah. but yeah. There you go. But it's cert- it's certainly a big idea and something that, in a way, WWF are going to try and run with, with Goldust and Roddy Piper and the uh, car chase. So yeah. they definitely kept it in the mind for later. They
2: definitely did. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, how do you respond to that, really? <laughs> <laughs> Christ. Right, so we'll just give a bit of context for the ratings. So Bruce Pritchard solo is going to be in charge of 12 episodes of Monday Night Raw, and after that, they're going to bring in Jim Cornette to assist him. Well, not to assist him. They're going to be at the same, the same level of the head of creative. So Bill Watts' last episode was 2.6, and we're going to see a little dip at first. It's going to be a 2.2 and a 2.1, which is going to be the episode that we're going to review today from the 30th of October, '95. Eventually, he's going to go up to a high of 3, uh, on the eighth of January, ninety-six. So it gets an average of two point four six. It's a slight increase in trend. It's slightly higher than Bill Watts's two point four, and slightly lower than Richard and Carnett's two point five two. So it looks like ratings might slowly be going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, it seems to be. And as we're going to get into, I'll just lay, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table now. Uh, this episode had, like I said, Bruce Pritchard's lowest ratings. Watching it in isolation nowadays, I don't think it deserved that at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we'll we'll have to we'll have to find out. So the episode, as I said, was filmed on twenty third of October ninety five at the Keystone Center in Brandon Manitoba. There was two thousand people in attendance. This was the fourth to seventh match of a fifteenth match card. So so far we've only looked at the start and end of those conveyor belt wrestling sessions, but this is the second session, and it's Halloween themed. So we start the show with a Halloween video package. Todd Pettingill doing an impression of a vampire. There's highlights of Owen Hart winning the 20-man battle royal from the week before to become the number one contender for the IC title. And Todd Pettingill saying tonight is mischief night as Owen Hart's challenging Razor Ramon for the IC title. And you may wonder, why is Razor Ramon IC champion? So last time we reviewed an episode, Shawn Michaels was champion. Obviously, he had his incident in Syracuse, where he gets in a fight with between three and ten soldiers, depending on who you listen to. <laughs> uh, despite them promising on that uh, telephone call that he was going to be in Anya uh, house and wrestling, he isn't fit to wrestle. So he has to surrender the title to Dean Douglas. So Dean Douglas gets the title in the ring, does a little celebration, fights Razor Ramon, and 11 minutes later, Reza Ramon's intercontinental champion. So uh, a very short championship
1: reign. So they pulled, the, uh, they pulled the old Survivor Series 91 trick advertised talents that weren't actually going to be there. <laughs>
0: he, he was there. He did turn up in the ring looking very sorry for himself in a crazy leather jacket. Ugh.
1: The big meanies punched me. I can't wrestle.
0: It wasn't the blue meanie, Dan.
1: i said <laughs> big meanie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we're also tonight going to get the network television debut of Gold Dust.
2: Yes. I was because... actually pretty hyped for
0: this. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. It, looked, it looked good, didn't it? Looks yeah. good. I would say as well. Um, Todd Pettingill as uh, as the vampire. His his makeup wasn't wasn't that bad, but but the whole thing sort of reminded me of the Halloween Havoc '93 opening, but done on a on a much lower budget. I don't know if you remember that one where uh, Tony Schiavone ended up being like a, goose, a goosebump style monster trying to eat trick or treaters. Yeah, it felt like it felt like that, but they've just gone. We've only got a TV budget, lads.
2: <laughs> I, uh, I, I love Todd Pentangle. He's one of the guilty pleasures in wrestling, so everything he does, I love.
0: <laughs> ah, no guilty
1: pleasures. We don't wrestle shame here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's what we should have called the name of the podcast. What so wrestle well, shame? Wrestle
1: shame. <laughs> <laughs> <Guilty> <laughs> there's too many. There's too many connotations of that. To that name. <laughs> We can't do that. Uh, we've, we've got a name now. We're, we're fine. We're plowing yeah. on. But with with this opening as well, it, I've, I've banged on about it before. It was that with the sort of very sort of corny opening, and then all the stuff going on. Then you go into that but that badass intro that, that me and Rob love so much. I can see right. James nodding as well. Yeah, it, that that sort of riot at Titan Towers uh, intro. It is still that weird mix of. Early late 80s, early 90s goofball, WWF, and the attitude Era that's going
2: to come along. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great intro, uh, to be honest. I did really, really enjoy it. So uh, I miss intros like that. Everything is just too polished now. I miss that. Like I said, it's, I think it's a that little bit of grit to it. And that's what I do miss because obviously wrestling's evolved, as everyone says, but everything's just too nice, too clean, too, clean. <laughs> too soft. In the words of the Undertaker,
1: <laughs> I tell you what I did like as well. It was surprisingly topical when they cut to ringside and uh, and Lawler's there, masked up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> admittedly he was dressed as a surgeon, but <laughs> that's the only time he's ever been ahead of his time.
0: Well, it's funny because later on Vince McMahon asks him what type of surgeon he is, and he says he's a proctologist, and Vince oh, said yeah. he started the box and stayed there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That was, I think, from what I remember, that was one of very few good bits of commentary on this show.
0: Yeah, the the commentary wasn't great. So, at the start of the show, they actually set off some pyro, which looks great. But, like you were saying, modern-day wrestling looks clean. We had smoke hanging around in the air for most of the show. Jerry Lawler tried to pass it off as being spooky for Halloween, but it was just, uh, they've got the pyro wrong.
1: Yeah, I don't mind that, though. The smoke and stuff like that, there's kind of a nostalgia value to it, because... Years later, when they, when you get to, like, the 97, 98, when they're selling out, like, 16,000-seat arenas and there's hundreds of fireworks going off before every show, you get that sort of fog hanging, the smoke hanging over it. And to me, that was just a real nice bit of nostalgia.
0: Yeah. I remember a load of WCW pay-per-views were always like that, sort of the smoke hanging in the air. Yeah. And then we get Lola checking Vince with a stethoscope and uh, he tells the audience that Vince is heartless. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Never true words. <laughs> true words
1: I don't know. I've seen Vince nearly cry once. <laughs> Seriously, it was on the Andre documentary.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah. That's been a few times he cried. What's the other one as well? I think when he spoke about The Undertaker during one time, I think he nearly cried as well. Maybe he only, gets, he, one, maybe only gets one every 35 years. When he nearly went to prison, he started crying as well. <laughs> <laughs> that will do it. Yeah, that'll do
0: it. <laughs> Probably crying during the steroid trial as well.
1: <laughs> Withdrawal.
0: So, next we go to Salvio Vega versus Gold Dust. Nice little touch that'll stay there for the rest of the evening. We've got a little pumpkin logo in the corner of the screen with a WWF logo on it, just to remind us it's Halloween. It's kind I of cool. like I that.
1: Candle in it. I popped ridiculously for seeing Hugo Savinovich. At ringside, because I miss him mainly because whenever I used to watch uh, pay-per-views with uh, with my mate Matt, who hopefully we're having on at some point, if he was drunk, he'd just get he'd just get hyper and yell "Hugo, son of a bitch," because <laughs> in his drunken state he couldn't pronounce his name.
0: Fair enough. Well, I've just written down Hugo in uh, in my notes because I didn't know how to spell his name, but he's dressed as the devil and Carlos is dressed as a vampire, and Salvio Vega shakes hands with the uh, Spanish commentary team, uh, but Salvio Vega won't shake hands with Jerry Lawler. Fair. You know, it's fair, yeah. fair. You don't know where he's been. <laughs> and, and then we get Goldust's entrance, which is always brilliant in this era. Yeah.
2: He's uh, out of his time, The one thing I will say, his uh, attire wasn't very complimentary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the attire hadn't quite caught up to the entrance, had it?
2: Uh, I never thought I'd say this, so I actually preferred seeing a man in leather. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was... Um, the, yeah, the silver and the... Uh, it was tight-fitting in all the wrong places.
2: Yeah, it was just I like a giant a, a giant a baby crow tin him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a tinfoil baby crow. <laughs>
0: it's just one thing I don't understand about wrestling, because they, they bring these wrestlers in and, and they pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and then they say... Yeah, you're fine. Just go get your own gear. And, and there's yeah. kind of no quality control over it. And they just reuse the same stuff they were using on the indies and stuff. And it's like,
1: what the hell? Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Rhino, Rhino's the best. So Rhino, uh, Rhino's got a reputation of being frugal. And uh, so, like during his ECW days, he was Rhino, spelt as Rhino, R H I N O. And uh, when he uh, went to WWE, they changed it with a Y. And so I think he actually like added it, or they gave him a fresh one. But when he went back onto the Indies and back to Impact Wrestling, they started using that I again. He used the same singlet, but he, he sort of like stitched it together to hide, like the, the Y bits—to turn it into an eye. <laughs> <laughs> I respect
1: that. I do.
2: <laughs>
1: as a as a tight, as a tight I respect
0: that. Can you imagine any other TV show where they just let people come dressed as they are? You
1: know, don't,
0: yeah. they do, don't they do that on Emmerdale? <laughs> Probably. But, but they're, not, they're not all dressed in jeans and whatever on the bridge of the Enterprise on Star Trek, are they? You know, it's,
1: I might watch it if they were. <laughs> yeah. It's casual Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Stewart rocking around in a pair of cargo shorts.
0: <laughs> and Huddersfield Town Top.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, he supports that
0: shower. He does. He does. So then we get a back and forth from commentary, Vince saying Goldust could be the son of Miss Galore. and Lawler said, um, what was her first name? And Vince says he can't say that, because that's from before when movies were rated.
1: <laughs> I missed that. This was, I, I think this was the point where the, uh, the commentary started to fade into background noise for me.
0: Well, talking about background noise, they did seem to be piping in the chance again, which was a little bit of a worry, because we thought that uh, they might be a bit hotter at this point in the show. But there are four drunk guys in the crowd dressed as gold dust and they're loving it if nobody
2: else is. I thought <laughs> well, they might <my> pop. I <laughs> them. Well, they were having the time of their lives.
1: I forgot to note down about them, but yeah, it's like when... Um, I can't remember what show it was. Was it? Uh, I think it might have been Survivor Series when there was the, uh, the guy in the crowd dressed as Hogan and he was having the time yeah. of his life while nobody else could give two shits.
0: That's right. <laughs> I just loved it when he popped for Ric Flair coming out. Yeah. <laughs> dressed as Hogan and, oh my God, Flair!
1: But yeah, uh, more power to the, uh, the Goldust Four Horsemen in the crowd there. Yeah, that was good.
0: So, we actually do get a pop from the crowd when Salvio Vega hits the high cross body. So, the crowd are sort of waking up at this stage. And the crowd really into it when Salvio Vega um, gets his comeback. And then eventually, Goldust traps um, Salvio's arm for the pin, and Goldust wins. Wasn't that a bad match?
2: Like, for his first raw appearance, because um, of uh, Savio, he was one. Like not a main eventer, but he's one of the well established mid card guys during that time. So uh babyface. So to have your new heel go over like an established babyface, good booking and yeah, not something great, but it wasn't a bad match at all. So yeah, I thought it done the job what needed doing. Yeah,
1: I'm about the same. It was nothing special. Gold dust at that point is a lot more methodical than I remember him. Yeah. A lot slower paced, a lot I, can't I, I don't know the word lined up but i'll just go in the again and it was it, it kind of caught me off guard because even nowadays when he's wrestling in AEW, he's, he's so much quicker you know 30 nearly 30 years on but it was i, I, I like the uh the pinning combination but again the commentary really did this a, a disservice mm-hmm. the movie references were tenuous uh, apart from the um the proctologist line that was amusing but even just right at the end, when Goldust won and Lawler's trying to do his heel thing, of getting behind, you know, getting behind the heel, saying paparazzi are all around. us. like there's nobody fucking there, Jerry.
2: Yeah, you so said the papar- light bulbs are flashing. And it showed you the crowd. There was literally not one light bulb flashing.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's an incident in, uh, in a, there's an incident in an upcoming episode where you can see fans. Yeah, flashing the cameras. <laughs> this was definitely not one of them. So. Like you said, did the job, nothing special, middle of the road, fine. What about you, Rob?
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I, I thought it was a, a decent enough match. I thought uh, there was a great presence and entrance from gold dust. And the crowd sort of got into it by the end. They, they were kind of quite sleepy when it started and they woke up. And what, what more can you ask for, really? We've seen a lot of matches that have just gone over like a damp squid. So, yep. yeah, I was happy with it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: with it. So next on this show, we love a sponsorship deal. So we've seen WWF being sponsored by Milk. We've seen them being sponsored by a dodgy um, security company where the chief exec or board members end up going to prison for 30 years. And You saw that, Rob, I missed it. And now we're sponsored by MB Karate Fighters, possibly the
1: best deal we've seen. (laughs) Milton Bradley Karate Fighters. I actually had a look to, to try and find anything interesting about these. And I have nothing to say.
0: <laughs> you, you can pick them up for £40 on eBay. I think when we do the uh, the live show, we need to have some MB Karate Fighters to uh, settle our differences.
2: <laughs> <laughs> my my favourite is when they said, look at the realistic fighting martial arts or fighting kicks. Uh, and it was like watching Team America. <laughs> it was just like spinning
1: <laughs> It was realistic if Tekken had glitched.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: The, the best bit was the, um, Doc Hendricks was there um, with face paint on to look like a pumpkin. And then he does a little Karate Fighters dance that he's made up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, blank that out. That was awful. And that face paint as well, he looked like a knockoff. He looked like a really bad first prototype Crow Sting.
0: <laughs> yeah, if Sting was on the Indies and doing his makeup himself,
1: yeah. Without a mirror. It's it been when
2: you... <laughs> it's weird when you watch Docs, because it's like, like you know it's Michael Hayes, but it's like, it's not Michael Hayes. <laughs> my favourite is when they was bringing him in, and uh, I think it was Pritchard again, he said, like, when they talk about bringing uh, Michael Hayes in, it's like, Vince wants you to cut your hair, he's like, okay, and he wants you to shave your beard. Hey man, I'll shave my hair as long as I get a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He's, and great. he's the
0: one that's still there. That, that's, that's the yeah. crazy joke. No, he, he's managed to keep a job all this time, so that's brilliant. Yeah,
1: Bruce but, has been in and out,
2: hasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. we're still there now, so it's uh, a reflection yeah. of the current oh. uh, creative.
2: You hear the story about him at Steph and Triple H's a wedding?
1: <laughs> I get the Quite feeling the we're you.
2: about to. Come on, late <laughs> on I've got so many stories like this. So it's Steph and uh, Steph, Stephanie, and uh, Triple H's uh, legit wedding. He was stiff at their wedding. Yeah, I think he was. He had a few stiff ones, I know that much. And he got up to do, not karaoke, but to sing a song. And I forgot what the first song was he sung. But he apparently he was really good and he did a really good job. But then they couldn't get him off the stage. And he kept singing. And Kurt Angle's at the wedding. And he's like, come down, come down. And is like, what are you going to do, a boy? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, I think it was Lindsay who got him down. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> but yeah, he's a, he's a good laugh, Michael Hayes. Uh, I would love to speak to him one day. The stories he would have, it's amazing. He's <laughs> oh, brilliant. absolutely brilliant.
0: So then Dr Hendricks is going to tell us that Bret Hart is going to have a match against Diesel for the WWF Championship at Survivor Series. It's going to be no DQ, no count out, and no time limit. And just while he's telling us about that, Vince interrupts and says, wait a minute, there's a shoving match backstage between Razor Amon and Owen, and they cut to it, and there's no sign of Owen Hart. It's just um, Razor Amon and the one, two, three kid, and the kid's trying to calm Razor down. Yeah, that was odd. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit weird. Um, yeah, it, hopefully... it, was,
1: it was handbags at best.
0: <laughs> well, we didn't even see Owen Hart, so... <laughs> yeah.
1: pretty try, I'm, I'm pretty sure they try and play it off. Later on, Either later on in this one or, or the one we're going to cover next week as that being Razor and One, Two, Three Kid having an altercation at some point yeah.
0: in time. Possibly. I mean, obviously we're um, still building to that Crybaby match in the future. And we've seen this for the last few episodes, um, this sort of frenemies dynamic between Razor and the Kid. And then we go to Hakushi and Barry Howowitz, who Vince describes as culturally mismatched, but the best of friends.
1: Which was a <laughs> moment of its time yeah, it's another one of those segments where it just seeing it on the uh, on the network you know, when it comes up in the little the little rectangles where you're just looking at it going, "This is going to be racist I, I couldn't believe they time stamped this in the network as if to say, don't watch
0: the rest of the episode. Just watch um Hakushi and Barry Howe. it's playing with uh, MB M b Fires. and having <laughs>
1: stereotypical like sitcom disagreements like Coke or Pepsi, but then they have to chuck in like an American, America versus Japan thing and he's saying cheeseburger and sushi.
0: They were arguing about baseball players, but you notice now Bill Watts is out of the door. There was no mention of Hank Aaron.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Less said about that, the better, eh? After, uh, after all that kicked off when he was at WCW.
0: The best thing about this was, though, they actually had a proper WWF referee officiating their uh, karate fighters match
1: yeah
0: <laughs> all that so i think this county does a match
1: <laughs> <laughs> i might have to have a rethink later on then
0: yeah for your match of the night yeah so then we're on to match united versus joe Dorgan. james do you know who joe Dorgan
2: is i do rob i actually do a little bit of research um, and <laughs> it's amazing but Out of everyone on this card, like he's one, he's still got a career. It's Mr. Johnny Swinger,
0: (laughs) it is indeed. It is indeed. We've seen him on previous episodes of Unbooking the Territory, but it's uh, it's always great to see the swing man not looking as 90s in the 90s as he does
1: now. And when he was on previously, someone didn't do the research and didn't have any idea that it was Johnny Swinger, but will the you already know who that was?
2: Yeah, he's like, I was looking at his age, I thought, how is he, Bell? I'm like. He's 45 now. I'm like, fucking no, hell, he must have been like 19 back then, 20-year-olds. So, it's crazy. <laughs> God, he, he was 20 back then. He had an hard paper round, didn't he? He looked yeah, about he 30.
1: Yeah. He's getting flashbacks of the earthquake. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although he did have a uh, hot bod on his tights. So, I don't know if he bought them from somebody else. So, uh, so during the match, Vince's high pin next week. It's going to be Marty Genessi versus the British Bulldog. And Lawler, again, still trying to pass off the smoke in the atmosphere from the pyro as Spooky for Halloween. And then they're saying that next week it's going to be Isaac Yankum and Jerry Lawler versus Bret Hart and Hakushi, which seems like a bit of AEW booking, where you've got a tag team established of Hakushi and Barry Howitz, but you're going to split that up and put a random Bret Hart in there for no, for no apparent reason.
1: <laughs> Speaking of AEW Times, I'm pretty sure, about, I, I couldn't quite make it out on the, on the TV, but I'm pretty sure Joe Dorgan had uh, Peter Avalon's uh, coffee-stained moustache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. It's a shame he didn't have his smoking jacket.
1: <laughs> I thought that was a dressing gown. Shows how much attention I've been paid.
0: They had a, um, an episode of Dark, they had a walk off between Peter Avalon and. Who's that guy that's in the Nightmare family for no reason? QT Marshall? No, no, he's only recently <laughs> <laughs> he joined it. Cody Rhodes? Yeah. <laughs> Randy.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, that's his bloody name. Anyway, they- they Lee, had a-
1: uh, is it Lee, Lee, Lee Johnson?
0: Lee- Johnson. Lee Johnson, that's the one. Yeah, so they had like a Zoolander esque walk off between them, and Peter Avalon sort of stumbled on his 10 steps of the uh, catwalk. And uh, on commentary, they were going, Was that an infraction? Let's get a replay.
2: Sports based presentation, folks.
1: <laughs> it was the best bit of dark by a mile. Constantly... Because, the, because the least important part of wrestling is the wrestling.
0: <laughs> well, and, and that's. That's an important thing to say for this match between uh, Marty Junetti and Joe Dorgan because the commentators had literally just used it as an opportunity to promote other things that were happening either next week or in the future.
1: Yeah, and again, it goes back to my point, background noise. Yeah.
2: I think the thing we haven't mentioned is Marty's outfit. What the fuck was he wearing?
1: (laughs) I believe that was um,
2: migraine aura themed. Did he think that being dressed like that, he was going to become WWF champion one day?
1: <laughs> it just reminds me of do you remember when uh, the Nation of Domination had, that's uh, sorry, DX were impersonating the Nation. That yeah. was sk- getting they had that guy was it, Jason Sensation, Bio in Hart, yeah, that's and right. they had the line of, what, what, why on earth am I wearing this ridiculous outfit? I look like a damn road sign. I think, uh, I think Marty's was made out of a traffic cone. <laughs>
2: It looked like a firework, what just went off. (laughs) Just colours everywhere.
1: The disappointing thing is
0: that Marty's really tried this week because a couple of episodes ago, he was just wearing a t shirt when he uh, made his re debut. So he's had time to catch
1: the checks.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I I thought that because last time we saw him, Vin said he wasn't showing any ring rust and he clearly was. I, I thought he looked a lot better and his whole presentation looked better. Although it was a really well worked match that we saw last time, against I was Skip.
1: really impressed with with Dog and Sally. There was there's one point in that match where I'm still not sure if it's you know if it was like real or not. It was um, the, I think it was a corner clothesline, and then so Jet hits the clothesline. Dog and does like a face bump, and he he starts just holding his nose, but not like in a massively over exaggerated way. So yeah. I'm just I'm like, did he mean to do that? Did he fuck it up? Either
2: way, it looks mint.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that no, was good.
1: So what did you think to the match,
2: James? Yeah, not bad. I suppose you could say it was a job of Matt. match. Not too bad. I mean, I've always said it like had Marty stayed clean and uh I mean we mentioned it on our last episode. Uh, no, it wasn't on the last episode, but it'll be an upcoming episode. Um like the big plan for when him and Sean broke up, they was gonna have this big feud which was gonna to lead to Mania eight. And uh he never stayed clean and during the Rockers he was always talented, but he just couldn't keep him that straight and narrow and amazing to think that, you know, twenty five years later, however long it is, Joe Dorgan's employed for a uh, major wrestling company and Marty Genetti's doing Marty Genetti things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can we have uh, can we have Marty Genettiing as a uh, as a verb? <laughs>
2: yeah, I think he would use one.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. It was um it was second match. Second one, where I'm just going to say, yeah, it was fine for the most part. It, it did, it did the job. They needed Jannetty to go over somebody who could make, who looked credible and who could make him look like a million bucks. And I think this was actually more a testament to Joe Dorgan's and skill than uh, than genetics I know it takes two to tango, yeah. but I'd give Jordan, i I'd, I'd give Dorgan the props for uh, for this one.
0: No, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a decent match. The, the crowd seemed um, to be quite invested in this match. Um, Ginetti looked a lot better than the last time we saw him. Dorgan got a few bits in. You know What more could you ask? But again, it's just there as a vehicle for commentary to um, talk about anything but the match.
1: Yeah, said it at the start. Another another match let down by the commentary.
0: Yeah. So next we get a video package. It's Bret Hart and Acucci versus Lauren Yankham. And they're trying to explain why Hakush is tagging with Bret Hart, because they used to be rivals, but now Hakush is trying to change. Which seems so, so, you know, reasons. And we're also going to get the British Bulldog versus Marty Jannetty. So next we go, um, we're in ring. Uh, it's Vince McMahon, and he's with the Bulldog, Cornette, and Clarence Mason. Cornette's saying that um, Gorilla Monsoon said that the winner of the Bulldog diesel at In Your House 4... Would get to face Bret Hart at Survivor Series. Obviously, the Bulldog won by disqualification. So, Jim Cornette's now saying that Grilla Monsoon's trying to change and say what he meant to say was um, the winner would face the champion. And then we get a highlight from Innie House Four. And then we get an amazing Jim Cornette's uh, attempts at a tongue twister in front of a live audience. (laughs) Did we? What did he say? he was talking about Clarence Mason, and he said, This man has been writing writs all day, and I've read the writs he's written. And if you oh, have written, yeah. written, you'll know that they're really well-written writs.
1: <laughs> yeah, somebody was fucking with him with that, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, like the last few we've done, it's another it's another really good promo from uh from Corny. Like I said, say what you will about him. Yeah. He's a master.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the best. <laughs> AEW, they've got this thing for this weekend, like this um, Hall of Fame worthy person could be making his debut at Revolution, Well, will. I said, hmm, Hall of Fame worthy person, free agents, one of the biggest legends of the business, Jim Cornette is all elite. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that, I saw that. Let's be honest, everyone would watch it. I don't care. People say, oh, I I hope not, he's garbage. I'm like, you still fucking watch it if Cornette turned up in (laughs) AEW.
1: If someone told you they were going to hurl a ton of cow shit at an industrial turbine, you'd watch that.
0: But he has so many, classic promos. I mean, when, when I'm looking at like clips for the starts of the episodes, often it's like Cornette that I'll, you know, sprinkle in there because he's so good mm-hmm. and he's had so much interaction with so many people.
1: And there's nothing worse, as well, than when a heel manager, particularly one as uh, as good as Cornette, it, 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 there's nothing worse than when they have a point. Yeah, yeah. And Cornette's got a point, but you don't want him to have a point. <laughs> you want him to fuck off. And uh, I was happy to see Clarence Mason back as well. I, my uh, my MVP of, the, previous show, of uh, the last show that we covered.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's good to see Clarence Mason. Uh, I thought it was really good. Jerry Lawler describes him as the best barrister since Jeremy McDivitt, who's WWF's lawyer. So that's high, high praise indeed, because all, all he did was keep suing uh, WCW and their legal department kept rolling over, so... <laughs> did a really good job. And obviously the steroids case as well. Yeah. And then we get a, a bit of a Clarence Mason promo. He's sort of really pressing home that uh, the contract specifically stated the winner would face Bret Hart. And he says he's demanding two things, a match with Bret Hart, and then Cornette interrupts. And Cornette's really upset about the wildcard match at Survivor Series and saying how it isn't fair to Bulldog because he's on a team with Shawn Michaels, Sid and Ahmed Johnson. And that means he's going to be against Dean Douglas Razor Ramon and his stablemates of Yokozuna and Owen Hart. And then Bulldog starts cutting a promo on Ginetti um, for next week's match, but Ginnetti yeah, and runs out and
1: attacks him. Yeah, this is where it kind of goes off a cliff. Bless him, I, I love Bulldog. I love watching Bulldog. I mean, a lot of it it was great in the ring, and some and a lot of it is sort of British bias. So I always loved watching him, but bless him, he needed Cornet.
2: Yeah,
1: he did. <laughs> that was somewhat straight off the camps.
2: Uh, same here, same here, exactly.
1: <laughs> and the, uh, I believe this was another, uh, another instance where it was piped in, where the reaction was piped in. Yeah. Quite yeah. obviously. Especially when Jeanette is
0: um, backing Clarence Mason up in the corner and looks like he's going to punch him. I don't think it's in my, Jeanette's best interest to punch a lawyer, given uh, his legal problems. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it goes back to so it goes back to so much on Twitter earlier today, saying about um, heels being just some, uh, sorry, some baby faces just being completely stupid. like, yeah, I mean, yeah, everybody, everybody wants everybody will want to punch a lawyer at some point, probably, because a lot of the time they have to defend the indefensible. But Clarence Mason had a point. Technically, he was on the right side, you know. <laughs> and for for Giannetti to go after that, it's just like. You're not very clever, are you, mate? No. Even threatening a a lawyer will get you (laughs) in a (laughs) court.
0: I I don't think Jeanette is very clever, though, to begin with. I think we've established this. Really? Well, everything (laughs) that gets up to him. You (laughs) seen what he puts out in his Facebook posts
1: and whatever. I wouldn't know. I've definitely never made jokes about him before on any other podcasts.
0: So next we see the smoking guns on the way to the ring, and then we get highlights from In Your House 4. The kid's desperate to cover Billy Gunn, Razor tags out. Um, Billy rolls the kid over uh, for a pin, and the smoking guns retain the titles. And then the kid goes mad and attacks the smoking guns. And then we get into a match with smoking guns versus Otis Apollo
2: and Scott DeMore. Well, great. Really, I, I, didn't, I didn't catch the names, uh, but yeah, Scott Damore, my guy. <laughs> it wasn't Scott DeMore. Scott D'Amour. Oh, I looked, I looked up Reschner. It was Apollo and Reshner, wasn't it?
0: No, they actually uh, booked him as Scott. They actually said Scott DeMar on, uh, on commentary.
1: On my, um, on my network, he was listed as John Rechner, who is actually Bald Mahoney. All right. Well, they said Scott DeMar on commentary. This is why I wasn't listening to the commentary. <laughs> I could have... Right, what the fuck? Hang on. Right, I'm, I'm going rogue. A live cage matchup. I'm going rogue.
0: You know, really good listening. Well, we'll edit this out. (laughs)
1: you talk amongst yourselves? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going
2: to find
1: this. (laughs) So why did the podcast take till (laughs) 2am? Insisted that he was right on some bullshit. I would
2: laugh if it's neither. (laughs) (laughs) It's some random bloke. He's Triple H. A young jean
0: Paul Levesque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Brock Lesnar. <laughs> are you on the network? Or are you
2: on uh, Cage Match? The network now. But I never even looked up the names. I like because as soon as the match came on, it was just finished. <laughs> I never even <laughs> caught the names.
0: <laughs> John Reckner. Look on Cage Match and see who John Reckner is. Paul Mahoney. All oh, right. All right. All
1: right. That that was so worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was fucking Balls Mahoney. I looked up, I looked up Apollo as well, who they actually listed as Phil Apollo and then called Otis for the whole match. He was actually trained by Killer Kowalski. Had stints in international championship wrestling and a brief stint in WCCW. Right, but, let's
0: start again. So we get the smoking guns versus Apollo and Balls Mahoney.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't the same without hearing people chant balls, balls, balls. It made this match more entertaining. It made
0: this match more entertaining if he was Scott DeMar. <laughs> I, I did actually
1: write in my notes he looked like Scott DeMar with a mullet. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Did they actually call him Scott DeMar on commentary? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did.
0: I, I, unless I'm going just insane, but I can't understand why I would be. Anyway, you get a picture and picture from the 1 2 three kid. The 1 2 three kid apologizes for attacking the smoking guns but wants a rematch and then Balls Mahoney slash Scott DeMar, whoever it was, gets some nice <laughs> offence in. Billy Gunn drops the leg drop off the top rope on Otis, and the winner's of the Smoking Guns. So what did you think to this, uh, this other squash match on the card?
2: It was, well, it wasn't, it was just a squash match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't
1: know why I'm I'm I don't know I'm
2: laughing now. <laughs> You're laughing, I'm laughing.
1: Oh, you, you set me off. Were you just laughing because I called him Damore Balls?
2: I was just excited because I thought Scott Damore was on the show. <laughs> Scott Damore as a fan, it was me. The,
1: uh, the one, two, three kids promo in this match was not
2: good. Oh, no. <laughs> it was dreadful.
1: I think <laughs> I just made a point of, uh, of rating it two out of ten. But it wasn't the most distressing part of the match. And nor was the most distressing part of the match trying to figure out whether it was Scott Demar or Balls Mahoney. The most distressing part of the match, where the fuck has Billy Gunn's mullet gone? Yeah. yeah. How was- dare yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: he? Not, did he not know we were going to do this 25 years later? we, we live for these mullet ratings. And He has <laughs> the
0: audacity to cut his hair. He didn't even shave um, his initial into his head like the Warlord did.
1: Didn't even have the decency to do that. What a knob. <laughs> But the match was, again, it's another one. It was what it was. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a squash match, match over a couple of jobbers. It's, again, it's middle of the road, like a like a five out of ten.
0: Yeah, it, it did what it needed to do. That, that was kind of it. Yeah. So next, we get a Brett Hart promo, and he's talking about the upcoming match against Diesel. He's saying it's a tough thing when good friends go to war, but he calls himself the truck stop that's going to... Presumably, where Diesel has to stop and fill up, or I, I don't know what the metaphor is here, but uh, Brett has sexu- now
2: the truck stop according to himself. Sounds like a sexual innuendo to me. He's the truck stop, and then you got Diesel's the big truck. <laughs> <laughs> the weird, yeah. There's a lot
1: of allusion to pulling in and filling up, isn't there?
2: Yeah. yeah. Whatever. If that's how they
1: want to settle the beef, go for it. But weirdly, for Brett, this is actually one of Brett's better promos. We Much never got lovely.
0: Michael's talking about Brett's Diesel days, did we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. But it's time to chill some more merch. So uh, there's an advert for WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game. Uh, it's actually been released two weeks earlier on PlayStation, but uh, will be released in the next week for the Mega Drive, 32X and the SNES. Do you have any memories of playing uh, WrestleMania, the arcade game?
2: Yeah. Uh, look good nope. memories. Never played it. It's fun. i nope. never oh, played it. The endings are so weird. <laughs> so it's it, obviously it's made by I think it was presume it was made by Midway or Acclaim one or two, but the, you know went for that Mortal Kombat style. It's fun. It's weird though because it's uh it seems to me the the game is based around WrestleMania nine, because uh, the roster you got Dunk the Clown, Yokozuna, Razor, Narcissist Lex Luger. No, I think it's uh American Lex Luger. But it, to me, it always felt like it was a WrestleMania 9 game. But the endings were so weird. I can't think of the ones off the top of my head, but it was like Shawn Michaels becomes president <laughs> after winning the <laughs> title of WrestleMania. And he gets mauled to death by all these women who wants to be around him. They've got some weird endings. I'm going to have to bring them up one day. <laughs> but yeah, but the gameplay itself, it, I, when I was a kid, I didn't realise what buttons it was. I just thought it was just a button masher. And Nine times out of ten, you could win a match, but I didn't realise you could actually string along actual moves and finishes, but yeah, WrestleMania Arcade game is actually a fun game, so I recommend it. Uh, They didn't
0: want to have blood, so they'd have different objects leaving people, so like hearts for Shawn Michaels, or just just random bowling pins to not the clown and stuff. (laughs)
1: Did you fire up your copy straight after the show, Rob, after you watched it? Well, I did. Um, I've
0: actually got on the Mega Drive and the SNES, so the Mega Drive has all eight people on whereas yeah. um, Bam Bam and Yoko aren't on the SNES version. There's only six people, but um, the Mega Drive version wasn't having it. it. It's probably I've got it hooked into my um, Mega CD, so I think it had overclocked it, and the matches were all finished in about two seconds, so you couldn't do anything at all. But, yeah, I played it on the SNES, and the first match that came up was Doink versus Doink, so it was a uh, bit of a, a WrestleMania <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: moment there.
2: Cargurr. G'n'e'r. <laughs>
0: So next we get Owen Hart on the way to the ring, and Laurel's upset that Bret Hart hasn't mentioned the match he's having next week. And we get Barry Dudinsky, the mayor of merchandise, and he's in the aisle trying to sell some more tarts.
1: See, I thought that was a different Barry. I thought that was Barry Kripke from Big Bang Theory.
0: (laughs) Possibly the same person, although Barry Kripke is a character rather than a a real person trying to sell
1: merch. They could both be characters. Stop ruining my stop ruining my joke.
0: Uh, so if you buy a crappy replica of the WWF Championship belt that looks nothing like it, you will get three eight by tens of Diesel, which don't look to be signed. They just appear to be ones they have left over. And if you buy the IC title, you get three eight by tens of Razor Ramon. It's twenty dollars plus three ninety five shipping and handling. Uh, are you going to be putting any orders in? Nope. <laughs> no.
1: Why would I, Why would I want three free pictures that no fucker else wanted? <laughs> although I could scribble a fake signature on it in Sharpie and try and upsell them you could (laughs) you could probably sell the belt to Mags as well he's a belt collector, he'll have it
0: (laughs) (laughs) so next we go to uh, a vignette in the graveyard it's Paul Bearer and he's saying oh Mabel, I bet you're so proud of what you've done but The Undertaker's going to return so it's uh, laying the seeds for The Undertaker to return with his Phantom of the Opera mask on
1: and it just wouldn't be Halloween without a Paul Bearer promo.
0: Nope. Then they go and completely spoil it. And with are back to the ring. And Vince says, Paul Bearer is going to be on AOL tomorrow night. So you've gone from living in the graveyard, being all spooky. And then he's going to come in the office and log onto the computer and talk to you all on AOL.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really glad I tuned out, tuned Vince out by this point. I just tuned them both out, Vince and Lola. I was just, yeah, I don't care what you're saying. I'm just gonna watch. I'm just gonna watch what's happening around you. It was literally straight afterwards. It's like,
0: why have you done it? So we get Razor Ramon runs to the ring, and the match starts. For the Intercontinental Championship, sponsored by MB Karate Fighters. Owen Hart's accompanied by Jim Cornette and uh, Vince. McMahon, and and this phrase sent an absolute chill down my spine because Vince McMahon said that Shawn Michaels will return to action this Friday in Cincinnati. <laughs> and I, I thought, is there going to be a pay-per-view?
1: <laughs> that would have absolutely put the shits up me if I was paying attention to the commentary. But what um, a great hot start to the match. Yeah, that yeah. was good. It really sold the whole, like, these two hate each other vibe. Where Razor hasn't even taken his belt off. And he wants to beat the shit out of Owen. And that just set the tone and... I absolutely again lay my cards on the table, Lily. I love this match.
0: Yeah, that was a good. It was a good match, and the crowd loved it when uh, Cornette got slapped by Razor. Absolutely loved it, and then when <laughs> Fuji came down to the ring, and cornette has gone crying to Yoko and Fuji and showing him his eye that's been slapped.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was great.
1: <laughs> just, just yeah, I was going to say the same thing, James. Cornette, just absolutely fantastic, and we actually had. Um, a th- one of where uh, a rare sign in the crowd, where I don't think they actually understood how numbers or words worked, because obviously raises the first four-time Intercontinental champion, and uh, they'd written four Pete, four hyphen P-E-A-T, um, which I'm assuming when he was three-time it was three Pete, which makes sense. Otherwise, I just think they're they're in the market for Pete. I don't quite know what they were going for there they want the want the they want the worst possible taste you can have in a whiskey. <laughs> and there was two uh, just one thing that distracted me as well I don't know if you saw them there was two women who, who got back for the main event of the, of this taping and it took them forever to sit down. Yeah I saw that they were fucking about in the front row I don't know what they were doing but I, as good as the match was like I just every softball, they still they still not sat down watch a bit more. Just sit the fuck down. I'd have been doing me nuts if I was sat behind them.
0: <laughs> so then we, we go to a commercial and there's an advert for the WWF World Tour de Force and there's a little um graphic of a uh, satellite uh, made on the Commodore Amiga by the look of it. it. was pretty crappy. And it's advertising this Friday in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go back and Vince says Here's some footage of a sleeper hold from the break, and it shows a backdrop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which, again, it's just everything. They were, they were hell-bent on this show of letting the matches down. Yeah. yeah. It was just... just, and Even cutting away to the, um, to the, uh, to the advert there, that, that just screen came in done because the cut was weirdly done, and it was right near the end of the match.
0: But you've got to go to this Friday in Cincinnati, do
1: <laughs> They could have at least done this Friday in Fargo or something like that. <laughs> Going back to the match, so I, know, I know we've been sort of saying that the the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling, but when you get a banger of a match like this, where the kickoff and, and the intensity's there, and the they don't really let up, and you see like Razor Catching you know, Owen, which for two blokes that size is bloody impressive anyway, but it goes straight into the fall-away slam. And then that's just before he twats Cornette. It was just fantastic. And Owen's selling was brilliant. Then Razor returned the favour. It was, really was just two masters going for it. Yeah, it, it was a really good match. A really good match. I think actually this is probably the best match, the best wrestling match that we've actually looked at so far on this show.
0: I can't believe you're veering away from... Dr. Isaac Yankin versus Bret Hart in the cage with Jerry Lawrence in the shark cage. Well, I'm, I'm,
1: giving it, I'm giving it to Owen Hart versus Razor Ramon, putting all of my natural Bret Hart and Glenn Jacobs bias aside. So the
0: match ends when Razor goes for the Razor's edge, but uh, Yoko attacks Razor, so Razor's the winner by DQ. The 1-2-3 kid runs in for the save, but that's not going to happen, so Yoko gives him the leg drop, and then Ahmed Johnson runs in for the save. And he slams
1: Yoko, when the crowd go wild. I popped for that. Just sat in my seat. Oh, that was yeah. impressive. <laughs> it
0: really was. I
1: mean,
0: they'd built that whole year worth of you know Lex Luger slamming him on the uh, the deck of the aircraft carrier sort of thing, and then Ahmed Johnson just runs down and does it.
1: Yeah, and um, Ahmed Johnson. I didn't see much of his, or well, I don't remember seeing much of his stuff because I was um, I was quite young then. I've not gone back and and really watched it, but. He was just bloody impressive, wasn't he? Just in general. Every time I've seen him, he's just a unit. And I, was all, I always really loved his, uh, his finisher, Pearl River Plunge. Yeah,
0: it was good. It was good. And then Bulldog runs in and faces um, off with Ahmed. So we've got that to look forward to in the future.
2: Well, I've got some good you news know. for you, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Ahmed Johnson's coming onto the show.
1: <laughs> I hope this comes out before, the, uh, before your episode <laughs> releases.
2: It, it will be. <laughs> yeah, uh, recording with him next Wednesday, so looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Hey, that's tidy, in, all right, isn't it? Yeah. You can ask him about slamming uh, Yoko. Yeah. Could ask him about the racist comments Shawn Michaels made to him as well. <laughs> Apparently, they keyed some nasty words into his car. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know me, I have nothing back. I'm going to ask all the hitting questions. <laughs>
1: Oh, why do people have to be twat? Yep. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, very man. good. that was down for no one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Back to the match. <laughs> no, I'm, re- I'm really happy you've g- you're getting Ahmed on. That'll be. Uh, that'll be yeah. great to listen to. It'll be a really interesting interview.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. To well. so I think he's actually started to do like some stuff again because uh, he's disappeared from the face of the earth for like the last ten years. So. Uh, I think he's just done one interview recently, so uh, messaged him back in August, and then also I got a random message off him saying, "Yeah, I'd like to come on the show." Thought it took you long enough to reply, but yeah, I'm all for
1: it. <laughs> I'd like to see you say that to his face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's a scary dude. <laughs> no, but that'll be good, so people can hear that on that night's wrestling podcast uh, coming soon. So, what did you think to the match overall, James?
2: Yeah can't go wrong with Owen, and can't go wrong with Razor. Razor, like, I loved him as a bad guy when he first came in, but when he turned, he was one that obviously he's been peeled before, him, but he was one of them bad guys who got turned by the fans. The fans just loved everything about him, and he's just like a badass, isn't he? You know, he's just known nonsense, and you know, the Razor's edge, edge is one of the greatest finishes of all time, and he's great, and when you've got him in mean, with Owen, who's one of the best heels of all time, who can Make anyone look like a million dollars, just a perfect match, and like that's one of the things with the new generation era, it does shit on rightfully so. But when you, but there was a lot, a few, there's a few gems there, and when you see these two put together, can't go wrong. So, yeah, I actually really like this match.
1: I think it falls into the uh, the hidden classic or hidden gem category, really. But yeah, it, even, even, it says a lot that even with that kind of finish, I really, really rate this match. Yeah.
0: yeah, I thought it was a decent match. Uh, the crowd were a little bit hot and cold for it, but they really popped at the ending, so they were really invested. And, and as you say, Owen and Razor were, were great in-ring at this period, so you
1: can't really go wrong. Well, yeah, Going back to what I said before, though, I, did, I didn't notice, the, apart from the start, when obviously with, with the two women trying to sit down and the sign and whatnot, apart from that, I didn't notice the crowd because I was engrossed. The, the crowd, they the could have been doing anything. They could have been dickheads mooning you or whatever, and, and I wouldn't have noticed it. That's how good this was.
0: So, James, what did you think of the show overall? It uh,
2: wasn't bad. Uh, um, I've seen bad, and I've seen really bad. And, uh, I've seen, <laughs> and I've seen a lot worse of shows from this era. So, um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And like I said to you earlier, it's a 45-minute show, so it's not going to drag. <laughs> yeah. So a um, couple of squash matches good Debut by Goldust, like his raw debut, anyway, put him over strong. And yeah, like last match on the card, it was Owen Fee Razor, it was a really good match. So, yeah, to be honest, it wasn't like a bad show. So, to say it was the lowest rated of Bruce Pritchard's, here, which is comical because you said it was like a 2.1 or 2.2, and uh, <laughs> shows these days kill for them sort of ratings. So, uh, yeah, I didn't mind it, I thought it was all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same.
1: There was, um it was the the sort of a similar format to the uh, to the last Bill Watts show that we covered, uh, where it was shorter matches to begin with, shorter segments, all quite quick and punchy, and then you've got a main event that takes up a good chunk of the end, uh, which which really does work for me. I think the uh, the main event was about a third of the runtime, which on a forty five minute show isn't a lot, but you know it's still. Still works. the The commentary was just so sorely lacking. If you have had a If had a, a commentary team on their air game during this show, it, it would have elevated the whole thing at least a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, with the commentary, I just didn't know if it's just because I'm becoming immune to Vince and Lawler's bullshit. Because uh, in previous shows, it's been you've either had a load of Vince bullshit, but Lawler's been on form, or you've had a load of Lawler bullshit, and Vince has been on form. In this, it was it was just all over the shop. But yeah, like like James said, decent debut for Gold Dust. Two matches that were absolutely fine for TV. The uh, like I mentioned before, the selling for Dog and, uh from Dog and was a highlight. And then Owen and Razor, you don't need to listen to me bollock on about that anymore. How much I rate it. <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you, mate?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a decent show. Uh, it was a little bit cheesy being the Halloween episode, I and mean, you couldn't get round that. But given that they did that, I thought. I thought it was a good show. Though There was a lot of stuff that felt like they were maybe pushing for the future more than concentrating what was happening that
1: week, mm. perhaps. But, yeah. You say about the cheese. I can't tell if it would be better or worse if they'd have like put more of the Halloween, Halloween cheese into it, You know, if they'd have put more theming around it. I don't know if that would have made it better or worse in my eyes, but it seems like something that had have maybe been worth a gamble if they had the budget for it.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the problems with WWF at this point. They probably don't have the budget for it. They're in a bit of financial trouble at this point in time, so maybe not. So if we move on to the awards section of the show. So we'll start out with MVP of the night. So who's that's your MVP it. of the night, Dan? Uh,
1: my MVP of the night is actually Joe Dorgan for selling Marty at offence so well and making him look a million bucks. Mm-hmm. I'm giving a shout-out shout to the swing man. He was doing it right even in, uh, even in 95. It's always a good time seeing uh, Johnny
0: Swinger, isn't it? My MVP, I'm going to give it to Carnet. Uh, he had a great promo with his tongue twister. He had that segment with the bump from Razor and going off crying to Fuji. I thought that was great.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was cracking throughout that whole promo. I was kind of going through and rating each little segment, um, sort of piece by trying to rate each little segment piece by piece. And just for context, Carnet, I gave an eight out of ten to because I thought it was fantastic. And uh, Bulldog, I gave a four. And the uh, Giannetti, pretending to punch, or, like alluding to punching uh, Clarence Mason, I gave, uh, I gave a three. <laughs> yeah. So Cornette definitely elevated that segment to at least a five. Yeah. it, it
0: was. That's, just out a of li- ten, that's out of
1: ten, by the way.
0: <laughs> it was just a little shame that Cornette cut off Clarence Mason, because we, we'd seen a really good promo from Clarence Mason in a previous episode
1: so yeah we did um, and I, I was looking forward to more Mason but I, I, I think it's one of those where it, it's very different to doing it on a pre-tape to uh, in front of a live audience and whether they were struggling for time or they didn't have the confidence in Mason doing it live or whatever there's a myriad of reasons but like I said I'd, I'd have, like, at least like to have seen him be given the chance so who's your MVP of the night James
2: yeah I've also got to go with Jim Cornette he's uh, just so good like, if I had to rank my top four managers, he's definitely up there. Like, for me, Bobby Heenan's always my number one. Always will be. But Jim Cornette edges Paul Heyman to be my number two. Always found him entertaining. And, uh, yeah, he was so good tonight, just putting over Bulldog. And I enjoyed uh, Clarence Mason as well, to be fair. But i uh, got to give it to uh, Corny. He just stole the show for me tonight. <laughs> oh, I
1: don't know about that. I first guess we get on and we're already
2: disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So James, who would you give
0: your match of the night to? So? It's
2: got to be the main event. Don't think go wrong with that. It's like we said earlier, can't go wrong with Owen Hart. I don't think he's ever had a bad match, as far as I can remember. To be honest, when I, when you actually think about it, has he had a bad match? I don't think he's had many, if any, at all. And Razor was just a, such a great babyface during them days, and like him being this badass babyface who takes no nonsense and just speaks the shit out of anyone. And you've got Owen, who's always been one of the best cowardly heels. Who's I've never seen many people portray that character better than them. So, and it was a good match. Um, I wouldn't have minded a clean finish, but obviously they wanted to tell a story. But um, yeah, for me, that's got to be the ma- match of the night tonight.
1: Yeah, oh. same here. Sorry, I figured you were coming to me next, Rob. I, I um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll. Like I said before, I will uh, I won't rabbit on about it anymore. But yeah, for everything James just said, everything I've said before. Uh, on this show, Owen Hart versus Razor Ramon—absolutely phenomenal. Miles better than anything I thought I'd see on this show.
0: Yeah, it was a great match. You just can't look past it. So, James, you invented this category, mullet of the night?
2: Billy, give it to one, two, three kids. <laughs> it's uh, it's just such a like a Pammy sort of mullet in a way. It's just it's got some uh, it's got some volume to it. I would say so. Yeah, I think it ticks off all the boxes for it to be the mullet of the night. You're
1: flashing back to, uh, to Sid Justice.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and what about your uh, mullet of the night?
1: That was a no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. My mullet of the night goes to Brett Rechner, otherwise known as Balls Mahoney, for having a mullet so good it made people think he was Scott Damore.
0: Well, ju- just to um, <laughs> sort of peel back... The production of the show. We did have a little break and had a look into it. And uh, Cage Match and Wrestling Database said so it's Scott DeMar. So well,
1: but the WWE Network says it's Brett
0: Reckner, so I am right. <laughs> well, my band tonight is going to go to uh, Scott DeMar. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason it's going to Scott DeMar is I-, I felt it was a mullet of the people. It looked like he hadn't really put enough effort in it, into it for TV because he had a day job. So he had to have a mullet that could be a street mullet as well as a wrestling mullet. So the <laughs> mullet, mullet of the people's going to Scott De slash Balls Mahoney, whoever uh, he turns out to be when we settle the argument.
2: Well, I get along with, like, impact management. I am going to tweet Scott DeMar and say to him, was you in a tag team match on the 30th of October, 1995 against Razor Ramon, the one, two, three kids. Uh, sorry, um, <laughs> the smoking guns. It don't, like forget, don't, don't forget
1: to uh, don't forget to tag the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, mate, that's Don't hey, forget that started out. Whoever it was, I thought it was a mullet of the people.
1: Regardless, yeah. it was a fantastic head of hair. It, do you know what, it's a mullet that unites people when they disagree exactly? Regardless yeah. of who it was, the the mullet is the main thing. Exactly. The mullet's always
2: the winner. Sounds like a t shirt. Yeah, oh. <laughs> get it printed. Uh, I, I, I have got a plan for the t shirt. You have know, the Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a t shirt in my head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just like Hogan's face from the promo, blazing down one side, and yeah, 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 in yeah, yeah, big yeah, letters yeah, down yeah. the other side. Yeah, I can see it. I'd wear it. <laughs> I no, no, no totally. I wouldn't, actually. I wouldn't wear anything with Hogan on it in public. Oh, yeah, I
0: suppose. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to get a Sponsored by Milk t-shirt for our
1: podcast, aren't we, Dan? <laughs> oh, Sponsored by Beer. Sp- sponsored be by Milk. Sponsored by Milk, fueled by Beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so what rating would you give the show out of 10, James?
2: Uh, um, I'll just probably say it's a middle of the cards sort or of show, so I would just give it a five. It's just... It was an average show. Like I said, there was nothing special besides the main event, which was really good, uh, and uh, Jim Cornette's promo. And we had a couple of squash matches, and uh, Goldust V Savio was okay. But it was just an average match. I would say five, maybe a six. I would probably just, yeah, I'd probably lean towards a six. So nothing special, but I wouldn't say people not to watch it. But if they was watching Raw during that time, then, yeah, I would have. if I was growing up watching it at that time, probably would have enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, Dan, yeah.
1: Um, well, yeah, I think we're on uh, we're on pretty much the same wavelength there, James. I'll do my usual thing of uh, breaking down each category because uh, apparently that's what I do now. Um, so the matches I gave a 7 out of 10. Uh, obviously, the main event had a massive impact on that. Um, as we were saying throughout each match before that did it did its job, it was a 5 out of 10. It did yeah. what it was there to do. But then you get something of that calibre in the main event. For me, it bumps it up a couple of points uh, yeah. to a 7. Uh, the promos... Outside of Cornet, they were fine. I've, yeah. deliberately, I've deliberately not counted one, two, three, kid, because that was that was way down there. So the promos, middle of the road, did the job. Five, even um, Cornet couldn't couldn't bring it up any further. Um, yeah. The produ- the production, so the, we had the pyro uh, on the opening. The vignettes were well produced. They looked solid, you know, especially you know for the time, it's all in context, uh, so it looked really good. The uh, the commentary was lacking, as I say, so that knocks it down a bit. All the recaps uh, were concise, so that's a six out of ten with decent commentary. It'd have bumped it up a wee bit. Storyline wise, in terms of what they were looking at going forward, I know the commentary revolved around it, or what you've told me it did. Uh, but every there was ma- most of the matches seemed to have some sort of view towards Survivor Series. And then right at the end, you had the big altercation. So I was, uh, and then the bits that, the bit, sort of the bit that didn't was establishing gold dust. Which again did its job. So I've been maybe been a bit generous and given it a seven. The fan response, it wasn't particularly there. There was there was some there was a few bits, but it was a bit below average. So I've given that a four. So again it averages out about a six out of ten. Cool.
0: Cool. I love the state of the show, Dan, because you put so much effort into that and I just go with my goat and go six.
1: It's the only it's the only part of this that I put any effort into. <laughs> 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 Apart from the drink. <laughs>
0: I just love sitting there watching, knowing that I'm not going to give any commentary around it. I'm just going to go, that lack of six.
1: <laughs> I even go back and see what I've given other episodes. Yeah.
0: So would it surprise you that the Community Vote on Cage match gave this an average of
1: 4.47? What do wrestling fans know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I haven't <don't> <laughs> agreed with them once so far, have we? No, i don't think we have <laughs> they think something's good we've given it we've panned it they think something's bad we think it's quite good <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think this deserved the the tv rating in the, in this case i think this matter this show was way way higher quality than the rating suggested so you know what was going on you have to you have to think what was going on around it
0: yeah and we've had that before haven't we with had episodes that we thought deserved a better rating than they got. I think the first Bill Watts, one we thought deserved a higher rating. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it is what it is. And that's uh, how the cookie grumbles. So uh James, where can people find you?
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. So yeah, if uh, you just want to find me, find me on Instagram, that 90s wrestling podcast. You also find me on Twitter at 90s wrestling pod. And yeah, check out the channel, uh, we're on YouTube, that 90s Wrestling Podcast, we're on Podcast forms, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google, uh, Podbean, all them good places, and uh, please check me out, i have got some uh, pretty good interviews, I like to think I have, anyway. <laughs> been getting some big names lately, uh, recently interviewed Rob Dam, which is a bucket list interview for myself, and done pretty damn well, been picked up in a lot of the uh, major news publications, like Holic, Inside the Ropes and that, so... Uh, it's got a few eyes on me, and yeah, even like, for example, where uh, we spoke about British Bulldog tonight, I interviewed his daughter, Georgia Smith, and we had a great chat about the Bulldog, and uh, yeah, and many of uh British wrestlers like Nick Oldis, Joe Redman, Doug Williams, and yeah, some guests from the other side, like uh, Puerto Rico, like Epico Cologne, so um, got some good interviews, and we've got some uh, upcoming good interviews as well, so, uh, and obviously... Rob and uh, Dan does uh, the '90s wrestling pay per view pot- uh, interviews with me. Uh, the re- reviews with me, which uh, we enjoy. We have some uh, good laughs on that. So uh, yeah, we've got uh, got a good variety of content. So yeah, if just come over and if you like me stuff, give us a subscribe. Uh, yeah, be very very grateful for it. Excellent,
1: Dan. Uh, I'm on Twitter at dangriffin 21, where I'm bollocking on about uh, relatively recent wrestling, but at least six weeks behind. Uh, usually on any given day, and as James said um on the monthly reviews uh, on uh, that 90s wrestling podcast where he just ran down all the socials Chase, it, it saved me a job that I always forget to do <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you want to listen to more of me uh, talking my unique brand of crap about wrestling, uh, please do give me a give me a sh- give me a shot
0: Excellent and you can follow me at UTT Rob. Obviously, as well, you can follow UTT Podcast um, for the podcast. Uh, again, UTT, Rob, if you want to follow my untapped as well to see the beers that we've been talking about today. So next week, we'll be moving on to Bruce Pritchard's highest-rated episode. So thank you for listening to the show. It's onwards and upwards.
1: See you next time. I have once again had to retain the services of America's finest litigator, Mr. Clarence Mason. That's right. This man has been writing writs all day, and I've read the writs he's written. And if you've read the writs he's written, you'll know they're really well written writs.